Um, let's spend just a few minutes in a few minutes, a few moments in prayer, um, and then we'll open God's word together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you're so faithful, and I thank you. And Jesus, no one's more faithful than you, and, and I thank you. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray that you would, would take us from where we are and move us forward in faithfulness as we look to you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would help the one who speaks and help all who hear open our, our ears and our, and our hearts to the truth of the gospel this morning. And Lord, help us to leave here this morning blown away by your faithfulness to us. And Lord, thank you that um, our, our faithfulness to you does make a difference in the world. And so I pray you'd help us uh, this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Malachi, studying the book of Malachi, and, and we're in Malachi chapter 2, so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Malachi 2, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 16, and you can follow along in your copies of the Word of God, or you can follow on the screen as well. Um, but let's give attention to it, because this is God's Word to us. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible, it's sufficient, it's our only rule for faith and practice. Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit, and what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. The word of God. The grass withers. The flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this week, we're uh, going to address the topic of faithfulness. Maybe you heard it in some of the songs that we sung this morning, or certainly you saw it in the passage that I just 
read. It's the subject of faithfulness. Now, we had a great example this week of a faithful person as people around the world recognized Queen Elizabeth in her death for her faithfulness. When she was originally crowned the Queen of England 70 years ago, she uh, asked for prayer for her by the people of her kingdom. She said this, pray that God would give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. Faithfulness to promises, faithfulness to uh, the work that God had called her to, faithfully serving. She would often and always sign letters, your servant. Faithfulness. Now, in this passage that I just read, did you, did you hear it five times? God calls Israel to account for dealing treacherously. Now, in the King James and the New American Standard translate the Hebrew word begad, deal treacherously. The Christian Standard Bible translates it acts treacherously. That's close. The NIV translates it unfaithful. You have been unfaithful. And the ESV, if you have a copy of the ESV, you read the word faithless. But however it's translated, the Hebrew word begad describes a situation in which a person has become unfaithful, has dealt treacherously, has been deceiving. And we want to look this morning at how we could grow, not in unfaithfulness, but in faithfulness. Faithfulness to God and one another. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? The dictionary defines it this way, remaining loyal and steadfast. Remaining loyal and steadfast. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if, if we became loyal and steadfast to our God and to one another? I find as I've grown older, one of the things that has happened in my life is I've you know, moved beyond my 30s, 40s, and now in my early 50s, one of the things I've, I've discovered is that early in my life, I measured success based on fruitfulness. How many people can I win to faith in Christ? What can I do? What great thing can I do and accomplish for the glory of God and the good of others? And I still want to do those things. But I've found as I've gotten older that what I really want is I just want to hang in there to the end. I want to stay faithful. I want to remain loyal to the commitments I've made to my wife, and to Christ's church, and to Christ himself. I want to be, remain loyal and steadfast to my commitments until he takes me home. 
And the older you get, it doesn't get easier. Most people think, oh man, if, if I could just get through this tough season, it's really going to get easier on the other side. No, it won't. Many, many people in the Bible, they didn't fail early in life, they failed late in life. Faithfulness doesn't grow easier with time. Faithfulness grows easier with grace. Faithfulness grows easier with Jesus. I speak to so many couples, and I ask them as they're engaged, what's going to sustain you through all of your life? And they say, almost all of them say this, love. <laughs> okay. You know what will sustain a couple through life? It's not the romantic feeling of love. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness to the promises that you've made. And isn't it devastating? Isn't it devastating when faithfulness is broken? Nothing is worse than broken faithfulness, broken promises. And there's a spectrum of pain based on the, pro the closeness of the relationship. Listen, if, if I don't know you, if I've never met you, and you come up after the service, and you say, that was horrible. You're terrible. I'm never coming back here. That'll hurt. But some of you have been here for a while. You're my close friends. I love you. And if you came up to me after the service and you said, that's terrible. I'm never coming back here. That would hurt much, much, much worse. If my son came up to me and said, Dad, I hate your guts, and I don't ever want to have anything more to do with you, that would be astronomically painful. But if my wife came up to me and said, I hate you, don't ever talk to me again, that would devastate me. There's a spectrum of unfaithfulness and its impact in our lives. And there is the need for us to grow in faithfulness to God and to one another. Because we're all, we're all friends with someone. We're all in a relationship of such close proximity that if we were unfaithful, it would be devastating. All of us. We're all, we're all close enough to someone that our faithlessness would be devastating, but our faithfulness could be the one thing that keeps them going. And so we all need to hear it. That's why verse 10 says, do we not all have one father has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our Father? We all need to grow in faithfulness. We all need to stay true to our commitments to one another as friends, as spouses. We all have someone in our life that we are so close to 
that if we were faithless, it would devastate them, or if they were faithless, it would devastate us. So stay faithful. We're going to show you how to do that, but stay faithful because we all need to be faithful. Then he moves on to a particular area of faithfulness. He moves from speaking to everyone in verse 10 to speaking specifically to young people in verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So he moves from speaking to everyone to speaking particularly to young people and reminding us of the importance to marry in the Lord. Now, I know some of you say, I'm not getting married. I know you say that now. But when you do, when you feel romantic feelings for another person, lock into your heart, lock into your life the commitment that the Bible calls you to as a Christian to only marry in the Lord. Lock it in now. Because if you wait, if you wait until later when the romantic feelings have already begun, when the desire has already begun and you try to catch up to your feelings with faithfulness to the Lord later on, it'll be much, much more difficult. So lock it in now and, uh, and say, I am only going to date, consider, and move towards romantic relations with a person who is a follower of Jesus, if that's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, then lock it in. This is who I could potentially marry. Only someone else who is a follower of Jesus. So we all need faithfulness. Christians need faithfulness in romantic relations so that they only marry in the Lord. And then spouses need faithfulness. Verse 14 Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Why do we make vows and promises before God and witnesses in Christian marriage? Why do we have a, a public ceremony in which we vow before God and other witnesses that we will stay faithful to our spouse? Why do we lock ourselves in with covenant promises? Because marriage is more than just a contract. It's a covenant. And we vow ourselves in marriage because marriage can be difficult. We lock ourselves in, not because of the deep, abiding, romantic feelings that we have on that day when we're married, but because we know that there will be days of drought, there will be days of difficulty, there will be days when we'll be tempted to go away from our promises, so we lock ourselves in before God and before witnesses by making solemn vows in marriage. 
and we say yes to keeping those vows and promises all the way through. So, relationships, a commitment to only marrying in the Lord if unmarried, and if married, a commitment to stay married, remaining faithful to the promises that we've made until death do us part. Realizing that all of us, all of us have been touched in some way by unfaithfulness. We've all been touched in some way by the betrayal of a friend. We've all been touched in some way by unfaithfulness. Maybe we've already made the mistake of marrying an unbeliever. What do we do? All of us have been touched by the tragedy of divorce. All of us have. So what do we do? We have to look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ. He alone is the one true promise keeper. Because all of us have been disappointed by the betrayal of someone else. And all, all of us in some way have betrayed someone else. We've all been unfaithful. We've all been the victim of unfaithfulness. So we all together can look to Jesus as the one true promise keeper. Now, I want us to see three things this morning, and that is this. Number one, we're, we are all far less faithful than we think we are. All of us are far less faithful than we think we are. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jesus is far more faithful than we think he is. Jesus is far more faithful than we think he is. And third, faithfulness, gospel faithfulness, is far more powerful than we imagine it to be. Gospel faithfulness is far more powerful than we imagine it to be. So number one, all of us are far less faithful than we think we are. Now, Israel entered into an agreement, a promise agreement with God, where they promised obedience to God, faithfulness to God, on the basis of ten commandments that God gave to Israel as uh, the model of faithfulness. And in those commandments, God starts with the first commandment, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, have you and I always, in every way, put God first before anything else? Have we? No. We're far less faithful than we think we are. God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of that which is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. 
You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Have you ever allowed your heart to become so attached to something other than God that the decisions you made were governed not by your desire for the glory of God, but for the desire for that thing. That you just had to have that item, that thing. That's idolatry. And we've all been unfaithful in keeping the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Have you always treated God's name as holy? Have you ever once used the name of God in a way that's unholy? Have you ever used a swear word that takes God's name in vain? Have you? We've all been unfaithful to God and the use of his name and his attributes and his character. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Have you ever done what you wanted to do on on the Lord's Day instead of worshiping with God's people? Have you ever? I have. We've all been unfaithful. We've all been unfaithful in keeping the fourth commandment. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Have you always showed respect to your parents in the Lord? Have you always obeyed them in every way, quickly, quietly, and completely? Hmm. We've been unfaithful in that commandment. You shall not murder. Oh, okay. Here's one. Here's one. Ah, but Jesus said, if you've been angry in your heart, then you've committed murder in your heart against another person. We haven't been faithful even in that one. That has such a low bar, so we think. You shall not steal. Oh, wait, I skipped one. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, if if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart against the Lord. We've been faithless in that commandment. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have you always told the truth? In every way, we've been unfaithful in that. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We've been faithless, unfaithful. In every single one of those Ten Commandments, we've been unfaithful. Israel was unfaithful. That's why in verse 10 of Malachi 2, he says, you've broken the covenant. We are all far less faithful than we think we are. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus Christ is far more faithful than we think he is. Now, let me read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2, it's said of Jesus, He was faithful. 
to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. Jesus Christ is the faithful one. We are far less faithful than we think we are. Jesus is far more faithful than we think he was. Think of it. Let's think about it. Jesus Christ, nine months in the womb. Nine months in the womb. And then born a helpless, dependent baby. Completely dependent on Mary and Joseph for everything. Jesus Christ, the infinite God, became man in faithfulness. And he grew up all through his early life being faithful to God and faithful to his parents and faithful to his relationships all through his younger years. And do you know that in his younger years... Do you know in his younger years, people loved to make fun of Jesus? They made up songs about him because they said that he was a son of harlotry, that Mary had somehow been unfaithful to Joseph, and, and that Jesus was an illegitimate son. They made up songs, those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I'm the song of the drunkards. I mean, people wouldn't maybe do it to his face, but if they'd had too much to drink, then they'd start singing about Jesus, making fun of him, and yet he was faithful all through his younger years. In this little teeny town, <laughs> Jesus stayed faithful. And you know, you know where Jesus showed the greatest faithfulness? Certainly on the cross, he showed the greatest faithfulness. But on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus showed faithfulness in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where his life of faithfulness really proved itself. In Genesis, uh, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39, And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What was the cup? The cup was the coming wrath of God do us for our sin that Jesus Christ would drink in full on the cross. And so in the garden, as he looked ahead to the coming sacrifice that he would make for sinners, he looked into the cup and he said, Father, you could remove this cup from me, but I'll be faithful. Not what I will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said, why are you sleeping? Get up 
and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So here we see in Luke 22, our faithlessness and Christ's faithfulness on full display. Because the ones he suffered and bled and died for would leave him sleeping. Sleeping, they would leave him praying. And alone, they would leave him on the cross, fleeing for their own safety. And he would die in their place, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus Christ is the one great promise keeper. He was faithful. In all of his life, he is far more faithful than we think he is. He was faithful all the way to the end, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And he will remain faithful to his promises to the end. Jesus is far more faithful than we think he is. And gospel faithfulness is far more powerful than we think. Faithfulness begins with small things. In Luke 16, Jesus speaks about this when he says in Luke 16, verse 10, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus says that faithfulness is, gospel faithfulness is powerful. It only takes a little bit to make a huge impact. He who is faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. That to grow in gospel faithfulness begins with small acts of faithfulness. And it culminates in larger acts of faithfulness. That when you're faithful in a little thing, you'll grow in faithfulness to become faithful in a larger thing. So let me help you. This is a very practical help. It may ruin your life, but it's very, very practical and simple. When you go to the grocery store and you take the cart with your groceries to your car and you empty the cart of your groceries in the car, this is the smallest act of faithfulness I could think of. Put the cart in that space in the parking lot designed to store the carts until someone faithfully goes and brings them back into the store. Or if you're feeling generously faithful, wheel the cart all the way back into the entrance to the store and leave it for the next customer. That is the simplest, smallest act of faithfulness I could think of. It is so simple and so small that Aldi thinks that the only incentive you need to do it is a quarter. A quarter. That's how small that act is. And yet, 
I go to Walmart and Publix and Dollar General, and I see shopping carts strewn all over the parking lots of every retail store in this county because we are far less faithful than we think we are. But it only takes a little act of faithfulness. The next time you're at the grocery store and you wheel that cart back to the cart area or back to the store, if you're feeling very generous, remember Jesus was more faithful than you think he was. And if you would begin in devotion to Jesus to take small steps of faithfulness, you will keep your heart, you will keep your spirit from getting to a place where you would be able to be faithless in a larger thing. Because many, many, many years before anyone ever falls into the sin of adultery or leaves the wife of their youth or marries an unbeliever, they make many, many, many small decisions that lead to the faithlessness in the larger thing. And if people are honest, we will all say, That no one looks back on their faithlessness and no one looks back on their divorce and says, man, I am so glad I went through that. Now, divorce at times is the only thing that is good for the marriage because there's such brokenness in abuse and Patterns of unfaithfulness that the only thing that the offended spouse can do and should do is leave the marriage. But too many times, people make decisions about breaking their promises in marriage, believing the lie that the world tells us that this really is going to be better. And the Bible says, no, it won't. It's never better to willy-nilly break the promises you've made to God and to another person. It's never better. But there is one who is faithful, and his faithfulness to us can sustain us through even the most painful of betrayals and the most broken of relationships. He can set what is lost back straight. He can. University of Chicago recently did a, or I don't know if it was recently, but the University of Chicago did a study and they surveyed people over time who had been divorced and asked them, people who had stayed married and people who had been divorced, and they asked the question to both groups, are you happier five years later? And the people who had stayed married five years later were happier than the people who had said, who were interviewed who had been divorced. The point of that psychological, sociological study at the University of Chicago is this, we oversell the benefits of divorce in our culture. 
And the Bible doesn't let us do that. The Bible over the Bible gives a realistic picture of divorce. And he says, don't do it. Stay faithful. And the study proved that five years later, those who stayed in a bad marriage could experience greater happiness than they were currently experiencing if they just stayed at it. Now listen, I know many of you may have questions at this point in the message. And so you are welcome to grab your Connect card. And listen, don't just ream me on the Connect card. Don't just tell me what an idiot I am. I am, but write down your name and your phone number and let's have a time to talk and let me, let me love you. Let me pray with you. Let me help you. Okay? God hates divorce. I hate it. People, people who have been divorced hate it. But Jesus, the faithful one, can help us. Help us all cultivate faithfulness. So that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you is to cultivate faithfulness. And we could say cultivate gospel faithfulness because it's the gospel that enables us to do it. In Malachi 2.10, the writer of Malachi says, you have broken the covenant. What does that mean? That all of us have been unfaithful. We established that under the first point that We've all are, we are all far less faithful than we think we are. We've all broken the covenant. We've all broken and disobeyed God's law. All of us. And the penalty for breaking the covenant is to be cut off. That's what verse 12 says. To be cut off from the tents of Jacob. To be cut off from the community. But God, through his grace, has made a way through Jesus Christ that rather than cutting us off, he cut Jesus off. That on the cross, when Christ cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry was a cry from the cross where Jesus having had our sin put on him and he being punished in our place, Jesus Christ, the faithful one, was cut off. What we deserved was put on Jesus and he bore the wrath of God in our place so that we, who had been cut off, who deserved to be cut off, could be brought back. We could be treated as faithful, even though we had been faithless and unfaithful, because Jesus was treated as if he were unfaithful, even though he was faithful. Jesus Christ was cut off so that we could be brought near. He was treated with shame so that we could be treated with honor. That faithfulness for us is what will motivate us and help us and empower us to cultivate faithfulness. Now, how do we do it? The first step is to ask for it. Ask for faithfulness. Jesus, help me. It's so much it's so easy to simply ask him to help us grow in faithfulness. So ask him. Did you know that faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The Holy Spirit is what enables a follower of Jesus to be faithful. So ask, ask Jesus to give you the Holy Spirit to make you faithful. Ask Jesus to help you. And then cultivate faithfulness, having asked him for faithfulness, begin to be faithful in the small things in life. With your time, with your tongue. When you make a promise, don't make a promise that you can't keep. And if you make a promise, even a difficult one, keep it. Make good on your commitments in the small things. You've asked Jesus for help. You've asked Jesus for the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill you with faithfulness. So use the Holy Spirit's power to be faithful. Stay faithful to your promises and commitment, even in the small things. Cultivate faithfulness. The third thing you can do to cultivate faithfulness is learn from other people's mistakes and learn from your own mistakes. When you have been unfaithful, acknowledge it to God and to the person you've been unfaithful to. Be honest about your faithlessness and ask humbly for forgiveness from God and the person you've wronged. Learn from your mistakes and learn from others' mistakes. When you walk with a friend through the devastating consequences of unfaithfulness in marriage, learn from that and let it strengthen your own marriage. Ask Jesus for help, the Holy Spirit. Start being faithful in small things. Learn from others' mistakes and from your own. And then finally, toenail your heart to the faithfulness of Jesus. If you try to develop faithfulness as a law that you're going to keep, by golly, I'm going to be faithful. This week, I'm going to do everything on my to-do list. I'm going to be faithful. If you toenail your heart to your own faithfulness, you are going to come back next week filled with either pride or despair. If you toenail your heart to your own faithfulness, you're either going to be filled with pride, I am faithful. All these poor, unfaithful people, they're so lucky to have me. Or you're going to come back next week and your heart is going to be devastated, either by your faith, unfaithfulness or someone else's unfaithfulness. But if, if you'll toenail your heart to Jesus... And his faithfulness. When you are unfaithful. Or someone else is unfaithful to their promises. Then your heart. Will have a safety and a security in Jesus. That will enable you to respond. With grace and love. And hear me. Boundaries. And standards. <laughs> And waiting for the restoring of trust in the relationship. Because your heart is toenailed to Jesus. You won't become a doormat for other people's unfaithfulness. And you won't become 
devastated when people are unfaithful or when you yourself are unfaithful because you will have someone in your life who remained faithful all the way to the end. Now, this is the end of the message. I just want us to consider what would it be like? What would it be like to live in a city where when people moved to St. Augustine, they said, I love St. Augustine. People here, their word is their vow. They keep their promises. When they shake hands on a project, they make good on it. Wouldn't it be great to live in a city where people kept their promises? Wouldn't it be great if people didn't cancel contracts or send products that didn't work even though they knew it didn't work? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if there was, we lived in a city that was faithful? Welcome to St. Augustine. If we, imagine hundreds of us, cultivating faithfulness in our life. What if you decided early in your life that you were only going to marry a person who was a Christian? What if you decided early in life, that's my commitment? Would it make finding a spouse more difficult? Yes. But the benefit of that small act of faithfulness is far beyond any difficulty that may come from that. What if the greatest thing, what if the greatest thing, Christian couples who are married, what if the greatest thing that we could do to raise the faithfulness quotient in our culture was not to hurl abuse at unfaithful people, but to just simply cultivate faithfulness in our marriages. Will it be difficult? Yes. Will it be worth it? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to cultivate faithfulness. Jesus, we admit how faithless we can be. And we ask that you would take us wherever we are and help us to cultivate faithfulness. Jesus, I pray that you would give your Holy Spirit to every person here who desires to follow Christ in faithfulness. And oh, I pray that you would work in our lives to draw us into faithfulness. Lord, don't let anyone here try to work out faithfulness in their own strength, deal with shame and, and guilt in their own good works. Lord, draw all of us to faith in Jesus. And listen, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, won't you? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've, I've broken all the commandments. I've been faithless in every single one of them. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross as my substitute. You died in my place and you rose from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, I pray for the day 
when we would be the kind of people who are faithful in all of our commitments and faithful to the spouse we choose and and faithful to the spouse you give us all the days of our life. Help us, Jesus. Pray in your name.